Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to worship you this morning. Thank you that we can do it in a way that, that we enjoy and that you delight in, that you hear our voices raised to you. Lord, I pray that you would continue that as we look to your word, that you would allow us to understand what your word has to say to us, particularly that we may carry it through our week and it would make an impact on the rest of our lives. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about the importance of the Bible and why it is that we every week look to the Scriptures to find our bearings, to, our, to moor ourselves to something that is bigger than ourselves, something that is, that is smarter than us. And one of my favorite Psalms actually is Psalm 61, and there's a line in it that, that kind of drives me whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed or feeling like I don't know what to do. He's talking, the author is when he's at his, at the end of his rope, when he gets faint and weary, he cries out to the Lord, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And for me, I always look at that as a place where I can see better from, where I am pulled up out of what I am in every day, right? And I've been led to a place where God allows me to see more clearly what he's doing in the forest. Not just me as an individual piece of it. And, and when you're stuck in the valleys and, and in the everyday stuff, man, there's a lot of trees. There's a lot of stuff around to, to preoccupy your thoughts. And it can be a little overwhelming. It's good to take those moments and just be led by God to the rock that is higher than you are. And those moments that He reveals what's going on around you in other people's lives or, or maybe even in your life. And so as you study the Word of God, He's going to lead you to those places. He's going to take you on a journey. How many of you hike or do any backpacking or anything like that out there? How many, how many of you spend time in the woods and you've ever seen a small little stack of stones somewhere along the path? They're called cairns. Okay, it's kind of a Celtic word, and it's and it's a stone pile to help you know that you're on the right path. Because you can get lost out there, right? I mean, there's 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 some big woods. I can tell you for for sure. I could take you to places in Fulton County and drop you off on top of a of a mountain, and you probably wouldn't find your way out because there's so many little valleys that lead in a direction you think is right. And when you get to the bottom of it, you're like, where in the world am I? The Bible speaks very plainly to that. There is a way that seems right to man. There is a way that seems right. And sometimes we get on these paths and we think it's the right one because we're only thinking about it through our eyes. We haven't taken those moments to, to open God's Word to remember where we've been and maybe to look at some of the places where He wants us to go in the future and, and to look for these little memorials. That's what we're talking about. Memorial stones, right? You see, Cairns aren't the first place that I ever heard of this. This was something that was fairly new as I got into really hiking some trails that a lot of people use. That's the first time I ever saw these. And you are supposed to, when you pass one, pick up your own little stone and kind of add to the pile that you've been this way before. But these memorial stones have been here. You can read about them in Genesis. Chapter 31 is one I know there. And then in Genesis chapter 35, we're going to look at one first off here. 
This is the story of Jacob. This will be the grandson of Abraham. So you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay. And Jacob has left some of the comforts of living with his father-in-law. He's worked through all of 14 years to get his two daughters, because if you know the story, Jacob loved Rachel. He wanted to marry her, and Laban, his father-in-law, switched the brides in the wedding ceremony. After seven years of work, Jacob didn't get the woman that he wanted, and Laban said, well, if you work seven more, then I'll give you Rachel. So 14 years pass, he gets Rachel, and he's going to leave those comforts in that place, and he's going he's to strike out on his own life. He's going to start his journey that he wants to with his wives. And he leaves, and he has all of these sheep, and he has all of his livestock, and all of their provisions, and he leaves, and, and he gets to a place where his father Laban has pursued him because he thinks he's stolen from him. You have to read the whole story as it plays out, but Laban finally at the end says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to let you go and take my two daughters, and I want you to just go on your way. And as they have this conversation here in Genesis chapter 5, this is the way it goes in 9 through 15. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, and he changes his name here. He says, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. God actually changes Jacob's name to become what we now know as the nation of Israel, right? Because he had promised his grandfather Abraham that you're going to have a nation. You're going to have a people. You're going to be now renowned around the world, and now the name of that people group that we know today is being established. He says, your name will be Israel. And so he named him Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and community of nations will come from you. The king will be among your descendants. And the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. And then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. And Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God talked with him. And he poured out a drink offering on it. And he also poured oil on it. And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. And so Jacob has this interaction with God where God changes his name. It's a pivotal point in, Dave, in, in Jacob's life. He's standing face to face and he's, he's receiving this inheritance that his family had been promised. And God changes his name and says, go and be blessed. And what does Jacob do? But he sets up a marker. He sets up this stone pillar. He sets up this thing to remember what it is that God did right there so that he could come back past it again and remember that's the place where God did what He did in my life. That's the time that God talked to me. That He opened my eyes to make me believe personally because we don't know where Jacob was in all of this. This is a couple generations removed, right? 
And they hadn't seen a promised land. They hadn't, they hadn't done the things that God had promised. They were waiting and waiting and waiting. And now God speaks to Jacob to cement it and say, listen, at this place, know what I am telling you. This is not passed down from your grandfather or your father. This is me talking to you in this moment. This is real. This is what I'm going to do for you. And in that moment, he sets up this stone pillar, this marker, this memorial stone to what God had done in his life. Why is that important to us? Because there are times in our life that things happen like that. When we need to memorialize God's love and His care and His protection, His provision, all of those things for us, because we easily can forget what He's done. Because we're so concerned with where we're going and how we're going to get there that we forget that we got where we are by His grace. (laughs) It's easy to look ahead and see all of the thorns and the thistles and the bramble and all the stuff ahead of you and not know how am I going to negotiate that and get so consumed that we forget that where we stand is right where God maybe wanted us to be. To memorialize those things in your life. I'm not telling you to go home and make a rock garden. Okay. We're going to get there. But I want you to understand that God has been doing this from the very beginning of time. Okay, That He has taken people on these journeys that sometimes are painful and arduous. They don't look positive all the time. But in the end... God shows up and does what God wanted to do all along and reminds you of how good He is, how faithful He can be, all of those characteristics that we love about God. If you're a journaler, it's easy, right? You write it down. I'm not, man. I I really want to be. I am terrible. Part of it is my handwriting. Like, I could write it today and I would not be able to read it tomorrow and it wouldn't do me any good. So, my memory helps me. I'll be honest. I remember things. My my nine-year-old just told my wife, she and I share personalities, and she looked at my wife the other day and said, well, Mom, I just put it on the shelves in my mind. Like, <laughs> and that... That's my nine-year-old saying exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> like there's, there's just this inventory that I can't explain. Whatever it is for you, you've got to be able to be in that moment. You've got to do whatever it is that helps you to memorialize that moment those successes, those things that God has provided for you over and over and over. We're about to enter graduation season, right? We've had a bunch of college graduations. We're looking at at some high school graduations, things like that. Those are times when you can stand there and realize, man, I didn't know if I was ever going to get through trigonometry, right? I didn't know if I was ever going to get finished with this lit professor, right? but you're on the other side of it now and you can stand there and say, you know what? By God's grace, I'm here now. 
and it will help you to be able to turn around and look at those stones line up like you couldn't have placed them. You can't put them there. If you're sincerely following the Lord's will, you can't place them where they need to be. You need to look to His Word. You need to embrace it, allow it to become part of you, to surrender your will to Him and to follow in earnest where He's going to lead. It's not easy to enjoy the journey all the time, right? It's, it's painful. If you do any hiking or anything like that, it, it can be strenuous. There can be places where you think, Man, I could have sworn this was only four miles, and I think I've gone eight. <laughs> Especially here in Pennsylvania, when you're doing up and down and up and down, and you're all over the place. Then all of a sudden you see a little mile marker, right? You're like, got it. They, must, they, they missed one in between, and I did go two miles instead of one. And you feel so much better when you see that little reminder that you're on the right path, and maybe you're further along than you realize. This happens a lot of times. I want to give you another one. That one was a reaffirmation of a commitment to the descendants of Abraham. And here's another one in Joshua. So Joshua is standing at the Jordan River. He's about to enter the Promised Land. He's led them. They've, they've been in the desert for generations, folks, okay? Understand that they lived in the desert for generations. <laughs> Led by a pillar of fire by night, a cloud of smoke in the day, all of those things, the manna and the quail and all of those things that you read about, all of that stuff has happened. And now Moses is not allowed to enter. He has to stand on a rock, ironically, that is higher than he. And he gets to look across and see the promised land but Joshua is going to be the one to enter it. And Joshua crosses the Jordan by a miraculous event where the, the Jordan River is parted, which there's some pretty cool scientific ways that can happen too if you ever study it. It's pretty, pretty neat. Um, you just a sidelight, I'm a nerd. So, In Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, they're about to cross the Jordan. They have parted it. It is parted in front of them and they're walking across and Joshua turns around. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them at the place where you stay that night. So Joshua has this odd request. Hey guys, stop. Go back. You, 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 you. And pick up a stone in the middle of the river and just carry it with you because that's what you feel like doing when you're hiking. Right? Pick up a rock and carry it and just lay it beside you for the night. A little later in the, in the chapter, Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, on the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that he had taken out of the Jordan, 
And here he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what He had done to the Red Sea when He dried it up before us until we crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. A pile of 12 rocks sitting somewhere along the Jordan River so that whenever the families and the descendants of your group come by, you can say, oh yeah, that's where God parted the Jordan and we walked across. Those are from the middle of the river. You have stories like that in your life. If you've been following Jesus very long, even if you have just started to follow Jesus, you have a story, right? The first stone's been set. You have a place to tell a story about how powerful God is in overcoming whatever it is that you struggle with. You have an opportunity to pass that on, to memorialize it somehow. They use these memorial stones, and we'll, we'll talk about how we're going to do this with Jesus in a minute, but you can do these kinds of things for your family to set up a marker for them to be able to look back and say, hey, what is that? When I moved into the house over here on Freedom Avenue, there was literally a stone in the basement. And I didn't know that the family had passed away. The Halevis were their names. And in the basement, I picked up this stone, and it was like sharpie around the edge of it with a little border, and on it it had a date, and it said Stone Mountain, Georgia. At some point in their life, they had gone to Stone Mountain and brought this rock home, and it had just stayed in that basement their entire life. I felt like I knew a part of who they were based on that stone. It doesn't have to be a rock, folks, okay? I'm, I'm not telling you to... But whatever that you do, whether it's pictures, I tell you what, Google Photos, I'm stunned. I put things in and they show up on my phone, my iPad, they're dated, they got locations. My entire Israel trip is documented where I was at. I didn't put any information in. So that's awesome and scary at the same time, right? But every picture you take, whatever it is, you're making a memory for somebody to follow the path that God has put you on. This is just one way that we do it. We have an opportunity to create these memorials in our life to, to do something, to leave it behind so that when the generation behind us gets discouraged, thinks they can't get through it, they can go, you know what? That's not true because look at where my family's been. And look at where we are now. I know my God is faithful because I'm here. 
to change it up a little bit to make it more of a, a metaphor for you, let's look at Mark chapter 12. Once we've marked this physical journey out in our life, this is an example of how the Old Testament and the New Testament blend together in this way that paints such an incredible picture for us as we talked about last night that, that or last week that the, the Old Testament and the New Testament are necessary for us to understand the character and the nature of God and man and then how that relationship is reconciled, right? In the New Testament. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells this pretty, pretty vivid story of a vineyard that's being taken care of. There are servants in this vineyard, and they are pretty upset with the owner of the vineyard. They want the land for themselves. He tells a story that the owner of the vineyard sends his son to the vineyard to check and to see how things are going. And the servants see him coming, and they kill him. They kill the master's son. Jesus is telling this parable about who? About himself, right? That there are people working the land that are taking care of it, and they're stewarding it, and that they're doing it in a way that is selfish, and self-promoting, and he was telling this story to the ruling class in Israel. He's saying, listen, this vineyard, these people were taking care of it, they decided it was their own and they could do better without the, without the master, and so they killed his only heir so that it could become theirs. And then he goes on to say that the master was not happy that his son was killed. He comes and he wipes out all the servants and takes back the vineyard. Not how they saw it working out. But they knew that He was talking to them. And then Jesus, at the very end of it, uses a piece of a psalm to tie in all of the prophecy of the Old Testament to say, listen, I know all of this because it's about Me and you're seeing it happen in front of you. I am the Master's Son. I am the one who's come, and you're going to kill me. But guess what? In Psalm 118, Jesus quotes this. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That Jesus would become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders are rejecting at that very moment that they're saying, you're not who you say you are. We're going to take you out and put an end to this someday. But He ties it right back to Psalm 118. He says, you don't even understand what you're a part of. And He uses that imagery of a cornerstone, which is in today's term, what we use as a memorial stone, right? You go to a lot of buildings, you're going to find a big corner stone, right, that looks different than the rest of the building. It's going to have something etched in it of memorial. 
It's going to tell you maybe when the building was built or when it was rebuilt because of another incident. Or it's going to tell you something about the building. And it's a foundational piece because the cornerstone sets up that foundation. It's the rock, right? It's the chief cornerstone of a building, of what God is doing in that particular spot. That's what Jesus was. He's going to be the cornerstone. And the coolest thing that I've heard lately, because I've always used that cornerstone as the, the foundation and the, the descriptor and all of those pieces, but someone once said, so simple it sounds now, but everything else in that building is oriented off of the cornerstone. Think about that. Wherever you set that cornerstone, whatever direction you set it, everything else is going to take its bearing off of that. And if you start to, to get off with the cornerstone, it's not going to be a very secure spot, right? You have to continually orient yourself to that stone. It matters what you do with Jesus. And then it matters what you do with your life events as they orient to Jesus. Because as you're building your life, you are really trying through the use of Scripture, these events in your life, you are trying to orient everything in your life to Jesus, the cornerstone. To remember what He did and who He was. And that's the first place that you started your walk. And everything else gets its bearing and its heading and its security off of that stone. That's how it works. That as you continue to develop a life that God has intended for you, right? Because remember, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, you've been saved by grace through faith. You've got that cornerstone. All you got to do is say yes. That you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for you to do. There's already a place out there waiting for you to just add your stone. It makes sense? God's already out there. He's already blazed that trail. If you think you're doing something new and you're going to surprise God with the outcomes, I'm sorry. It's just not possible. If it were, then He's not God. It's just as simple as that. So as you think about your life, as you boil it down, and you think about how Scripture impacts your worldview and how you see your life events through the lens of Scripture. Understanding that you need to interpret your own life decisions step by step by step, marker by marker through what God did for you. How are you oriented right now? Where are you at? Are you building in a way that's contrary to the cornerstone right now? 
Have you gone a little off the trail and, and think, man, I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. I just know it. I can feel it. Or are you looking back to the cornerstone and really figuring out foundationally where you are? I want to leave you with a thought for the week. If Jesus is our cornerstone, then what event in your life is dictating your direction? Because just because I'm telling you that Jesus should doesn't mean that's what's happening. Just because you're hearing it and seeing it on you version or in your Bible doesn't mean that's true. You may need to really think about what event in my life is dictating the direction I'm headed or the thing that I'm building right now? Is it my relationship with Jesus? Is that the cornerstone? Is that what I'm driving from? Is it that time when I came to know Christ and I'm, I'm on a journey with Him and I'm looking for the next spot where He wants me to go? Is it that or is it another event in your life? And it might be a painful one. Something that you haven't been able to get rid of that is actually dictating your life right now. I can't answer that question for you. The only way that will happen is for you to get alone with God in His Word, to take some time to allow Him to lead you to the rock that is higher than I. To take you to a place of some clarity that you can see what it is that He's doing in your life. That He wants to see done in your life. That He wants to see done in the generations that follow you. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all the way down to Joshua and to us today, we see it. We can read about it from Genesis to Revelation. We can follow the thread that allows us to be part of the story God is writing. We can also allow other situations, our own desires, to stop what it is that God wants us to do, to lead us in a direction that is contrary to where He wants to take us. So what event in your life is dictating your direction? Is it possible that you have a misidentified its purpose? Is it possible that that event has been misidentified in your mind? That that is what is defining you instead of what Jesus has done to overcome it or get rid of it? Yes, that event is part of your story. But Jesus should still be the cornerstone. The foundational piece. The thing that doesn't change. That you can always reorient. Right? That we can always go back to the beginning and say, you know what? Ah, oh, man, that wall is way out of whack. We need to start over with that one. 
That's what grace and mercy is. Yeah, it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take just admission that maybe it's wrong. (laughs) That can be the hardest part, right? Just admitting that something's messed up first. There's no shame in it, folks. God encourages us to do that, to return back to Him. He gives us all kinds of things like the prodigal son and all of these different stories that He told us to return back to Him, to start over, to to take that place that He wants you to have. So maybe it is that you need to think about what it is you're doing in your life to memorialize what it is that God is doing right now. Or maybe it is that you need to think about how to get reoriented, to get back on the path. Whatever that is for you, I hope that this week you do that. That you take the opportunity because it's there. It's yours. There's nothing stopping you but you. Take the opportunity, get back into His Word, and start to evaluate your situation from there. Reorient the world to Jesus. Okay? That's the only way it works. God's not going to... I just saw a thing this past week that said something like, God's not going to come back and rewrite the Bible the way we want it. (laughs) Okay? That's not going to happen. And if you read it, it has a lot of valuable things to get you through your day. If you spend time in it and immerse yourself in it, you'd be amazed what you can dig out of it. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for what it is that You're doing in the hearts and minds of folks. Lord, I thank You for where we are today. Even as I think back over the life of the church and some of the painful things that have gone on and some of the ways in which it had happened. and Lord, I pray that You would continue to, to work in and through us as a body. That, that we would wholeheartedly throw ourselves into Your purposes Thank You, Father, for allowing us to be able to to reorient and to continue to stay faithful and true to what it is that You've given us. Lord, I pray that You would give us an opportunity to do that this week, that we would take time, that we would look to You for some guidance, that we would also maybe just take some time if we need to turn around and look at where we came from all that You've done in our lives to get us to where we are, to be so thankful that You're here too. That You're here surrounding us and encouraging us to pursue more and better relationships with You and with others. Lord, thanks for that opportunity. In Jesus' name.